when were the... What schools... Who decides what the next... Where's that story? Why they keep the loop? What is this? It's Curious City. Where WBEZ answers your questions about Chicago, the region, and its people. Hey, Curious Citizens. Multimedia producer Logan Jaffe here. You know, we get a lot of questions from you about things you see out of the blue, like rooftop puppeteers or local phone numbers that use letters, not numbers. What? But this time, we're looking at something you can see each night. It's huge, but we're so used to it that we just ignore it. In fact, it took our question asker, Mike Mesterharm, a few years away from the city before it hit him right between the eyes. I grew up in Chicago transplanted out for a number of years for college and then when I moved back I lived up in the Irving Park area and I was driving into the city for work one night and I noticed that the skyline seemed to look brighter than I remembered and so after kind of kicking around the potential uh, psychological reasons why that could be I thought it might actually just be the lights. So he asked us this question. How has energy efficient lighting uh, affected the view of the city skyline? Answering Mike's question deals with way more than light bulbs. Because a skyline is much more than that. It's a visual signature of a place, how we fit into it. And if you're like Mike Mesterharm, it's how you know your home. So when it comes to how a skyline's lit, that matters a lot to people like Mike and also to this guy. My name is Jim Bainey. I work as a partner at Schuler Shook. We're an architectural lighting and theater consulting practice here. Bainey says lighting a skyline is important because... The way a city is lit does reflect the city's values. Take the example of Berlin. Was divided by a wall, but it's still divided by light. West Berlin streets have a blue-green glow. The east side glows orange. In other words, a skyline can reflect something about us. Lighting ultimately comes down to people to me. We need things that work, but we're people that really, we want to look at compelling things. We're drawn to things that are beautiful. And he should know He's lit up some of Chicago's most iconic structures, from places we couldn't imagine the city without... Just about all the venues in Millennium Park. ...to landmarks that survived our greatest catastrophes. The water tower and pumping station on Michigan Avenue. And by lighting those places with intention, sometimes in a way you hardly notice, we're illuminating a point of civic pride. And all this work can be subtle. And if I think that I've made somebody's workday better or more efficient, if I have focused somebody on God in a worship space, if I've helped somebody to experience a historic building, then I feel like we've done our job. No wonder so few of us noticed changes in the skyline, like our question asker did. But when I reported an answer about those changes and why they happened, we found that Chicago's skyline changes all the time. And history can prove it. I brought a bunch of examples that we can talk about because... This is Lynn Warren, a curator at Chicago's Museum of Contemporary Art. You can really see the change in light, including this famous painting by Archibald Motley called Bronzeville at Night, which is from 1949. Crowds of people crisscross a Chicago neighborhood street lit by moonlight and a single yellow incandescent streetlight. Which is historically accurate. Chicago did have sparser, dimmer streetlights back then. But you can see the sky is actually blue. That would be the more natural night sky. But you also see, if you look closely at the skyline, you see stars. 20 years later, not so many stars. High-pressure sodium bulbs debuted in Chicago in the early 1970s under Mayor Daley Sr. 
they're still around. So you probably know these doggone lights glow. A deep Halloween orange. That too showed up in art. This painting is Roger Brown's famous 1976 work called Entry of Christ into Chicago. Brown grew up in Alabama in the 1940s. In what would have been a very dark sort of rural um, skyscape. He moved to Chicago, attended the School of the Art Institute, and became an influential painter during the Chicago Imagist movement in the 1960s. And he always retained that idea of the glow of the distant city. You can see his depictions of the Hancock Building, the Sears Tower, the Aeon Building, against this yellow, pinky, not very pretty sodium vapor sky. Yet the light coming out from the buildings is a kind of incandescent yellow. So this, to me, is the sort of prototypical Chicago skyline. At least for a while. Roger Brown's cityscape is probably now a historical phenomenon. Because that deep, orangey streetlight glow is actually a fleeting moment in the entirety of Chicago's lighting history. But if you grew up with it, like our question asker Mike Mesterharm did, that's just what the city has always looked like. Until one day you're driving into the city and you realize the skyline's changed. Flash forward to today, and we're thinking a bit differently about those orange sodium vapor bulbs. A lot of it doesn't go to light up what you're trying to do. This is George Malik, And I'm the energy efficiency director at ComEd. You know, ComEd, the power company. Malik says the technical term for that orange glow is glare. And that nostalgia you might feel for it, that's actually light pollution. And not only is it a waste of energy, it's a waste of your wallet. Besides, by the late 1990s, we had other options. What happened is that improvements were made so that you get more lumens from the same amount of energy that you put in. Lumens measure the total amount of visible light from a given source. So a light with a low watt-to-lumen ratio would use less electricity than a light with a high ratio, like old-school incandescents or sodium vapor bulbs. So when that lighting technology improved, first with fluorescence, Malik says, it took off. The business case for energy efficiency is pretty straightforward and it's easy to, to show. You save money. And sure, if we want to feel good about ourselves, when we use less electricity, we release less... Carbon, right? Carbon emission. It's the right thing to do. Since 2008, Comet's helped retrofit millions of lighting fixtures in the loop, in streetlights, and in Chicago neighborhoods with lights that have more lumens. Which leads him to believe, yeah, our question asker, Mike Mesterharm, may be onto something. I bet you that there's more light lumens at this point in the skyline. But at the end of the day, you know, there are more buildings, there's more... <laughs> People who need lights. So it is brighter overall. I would think it's brighter, but uh, brighter where you need it bright. That's because of an even newer lighting technology that hit the market in the 2000s. Something you may have heard of called LEDs. LEDs are more directional, brighter, and longer lasting than their sodium vapor predecessors. And if you think Chicago skyline looks different now, well, LEDs are a whole nother ball game because we can basically do whatever we want with them. City Hall's already thinking through the possibilities. Just last year, Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel announced an initiative to redesign the city's, quote, most visible and public places. The invitation for contractors shows kaleidoscopic bridges, the river lined in nightclub blue, and the merchandise mart quilted in photos you'd see on Instagram. 
That is to say, cities like Chicago have more power over the skyline than ever. Again, here's a lighting designer, Jim Bainey. I think with that control comes responsibility and comes the need for somebody really to have knowledge. That is, knowledge about what choices to make, like whether to draw attention to our famous architecture or let the lighting run loose, like a Chicago Disney World lit up with neo-neon popsicles. I think just because we had the ability with LEDs to select from any number of different colors and to mix those colors to make other colors, just because we can do that doesn't necessarily mean that we should all the time do that. So how should we light Chicago's skyline? Here's a radical idea we ran across. Let's use some restraint. We hear that idea from Audrey Fisher, the president of Chicago's Astronomical Society and a night sky advocate. She meets Mike, our question asker, and me outside the Adler Planetarium one night. All right, we're looking at beautiful Chicago. I mean, I love this city. I'm a Chicagoholic. But there's something really missing. The stars are missing. Fisher brings telescopes. Cool. Mind if I check out Jupiter? Oh, wow. The sky is a sort of eggplant color. And the lights around us are a mix of deep orange and bright white. So I, I heard a little statistic that Chicago is one of the worst cities for, for its light pollution. Wrong. Not one. Not one of the most light polluted city. She's right. According to a study by the University of Colorado, Chicago does have the most light pollution of any city in, in the, the world. world. Not in the United States. So let's say... I had, a, I had a magic iPad, and I, boom, and I shut off all the lights in Chicago. Do those stars snap instantly oh, into yeah. view? That would be awesome. You would immediately see the Milky Way. Uh, you would see comets. And, you know, oh, my God, think of everything. But just to be clear, we are not asking for all the lights to be shut off. Right. We, don't even, we don't need that to restore our starlight. Fisher says the city could just invest in light fixtures that only shine downward, and maybe bulbs that didn't burn quite so bright to have the skyline. And starlight, too. Regardless, the National Park Service estimates that by 2025, dark night skies will be an extinct phenomena in the continental United States. So imagine that happens. Imagine we get this generation of people who never see the stars in their life. What do we lose? Think about this. Starlight is the one thing that connects all nationalities across this planet. And... There's a chance that we're going to lose that, that we're going to lose it forever. Mike Mesterharm's convinced. Now that we can light the city however we want, maybe it is a good idea to make some room for the stars. Reporting for this story comes from me, Logan Jaffe. Thanks to Mike Mesterharm, who got us gazing at the Chicago skyline in the first place. And now that he knows the skyline's evolved and that the changing colors and moods have been caught in a century's worth of poems and paintings, he says now it's hard to not pay attention. Curious City was founded by Jennifer Brandel, WBEZ, AIR, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support comes from the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. Curious City on WBEZ is supported by New Belgium Brewing. Join New Belgium and Good Beer Hunting for the Slow Ride Sessions. Opportunities to learn from Chicago's best artisans and makers as they share their practices in intimate, hands-on workshops. Giving folks a chance to check out from the busyness of the day-to-day and enjoy learning something new over a few beers. 
Next session, they go beyond the ingredient list with Chicago's first grain-centric sweet and savory bakehouse and artisan flower house, Baker Miller, for a milling and baking workshop. Learn more at goodbeerhunting.com slash slow ride. Next time on Curious City. You may know about the post-war great migration of black Southerners to Chicago, but did you know around the same time, Southern whites also came to Chicago in pursuit of jobs and a better life? And they settled in Uptown. Everyone that you'd ask, they'd say, well, I had Ken up there, I had Ken folk, I had a cousin, I had a sister. Why so many Appalachians ended up in Uptown. Next time on WBEZ's Curious City.